my name's Sean. I am one of the pastors here, and we are in the book of Matthew. So if you have a Bible, Matthew 26 is where we're going to be, which if you don't know, um, if you know the book of Matthew well, here's what you're going to know. Matthew 26, there's light at the end of the tunnel. We're going to finish this book before this school year's over. So Matthew 26, where we're going to be. Hey, if you're joining us this morning, we're glad you joined us online. Glad you set up some time to worship with us together. Uh, before we get going, I've got about a million announcements that I need you to know about, and it's all because of this one weekend that church folk um, think is a big deal. It's, it's this weekend. Um, oh, I can't click forward. Jason, you're going to have to click my slides for me today. Um, it's this weekend here. Hey! Easter. Um, if you haven't been around church a lot, um, this is kind of the Super Bowl of church world. Um, this is the big deal. And uh, so you may not know this because you, you may not count down to Easter like we do for Christmas, which might say something about our personal opinions because um, nobody gives us presents for Easter. Um, Three services, 8, 30, 10, and 11, 30. And, and here's, here's the deal. Um, you're going to notice today you came to the 11 o'clock service. If you didn't know that, you got lucky and showed up when we we're having church. You came to 11. There's no 11 o'clock service. If sometimes you come early, you know, on those days, you know, where you're doing really well and, and you, you come to nine o'clock, there's no nine o'clock service because we want to make you pick. So you have to pick. You don't have to RSVP. It's not like Christmas. You don't have to do any of that kind of stuff. But Easter, 8.30, 10, and 11.30. And because it's Easter, right? We're having our Good Friday service. So um, Good Friday service is going to be April 15th. We decided to do the Good Friday service um, on Friday um, in honor of tax day. And so you can cram your taxes and then you can come to Good Friday. Here's the thing that I'm stoked about Good Friday. We've been doing Good Friday, community-wide Good Friday service with a group of other churches um, for like eight years now. Here's what's awesome. Um, we have more churches participating this year than we've ever had before. There's going to be 10 of us that are all going to be gathering together to remember and to um, uh, sit in the truth of the death of our Savior on the cross. And so I'd love for you to join us. We're actually hosting it this year, so you know how to get here. So there's no excuses not to be here Friday, April 15th at 7. And if that's not enough, right? Friday, Good Friday service. Sunday morning, you can come to Easter before you go have your roast or whatever you're going to have for Easter ham or whatever you're going to have for Easter. On Saturday, we're bringing back the Easter egg hunt. Now, yeah. Here's the deal. I, I, I got I to gotta let, let you down early, okay? There's no helicopter this year. Um, it's just, you know, COVID stuff, it takes a little while for things to kind of roll back, but we're going to have 10,000 Easter eggs. Um, we're going to cover Main Street Park. I, I haven't done the math, but I theorize 10,000 Easter eggs in the amphitheater at Main Street Park means there's going to be one about every four inches. Um, so it's just going to be, the whole ground's going to be covered, but... We have to stuff 10,000 Easter eggs with candy, and then we have to make sure that nobody dies in a stampede. So we would love your help, okay? And so you can help. You can help ahead of time. You can help us stuff ahead of time, or you can help on Saturday on the 16th at 11 a.m. Um, to do that, just like everything else, we want you to text the word Monmouth to 97,000. And I think it's number four on the menu says help with Easter egg hunt. And if you do that, then we're going to send you some emails and we'll get you connected to how you can get involved in helping with Easter egg hunt. I don't have a slide for it, 
Um, but I also wanted to let you know that an, another good thing that's going on around here um, is uh, more of you keep showing up. And some of you decide to have children, which is incredibly inconvenient and expensive. And for some reason in our culture, it's not yet acceptable for us just to take all the kids and lock them in a room and leave them, just kind of Lord of the Flies for an hour. So we have to have responsible adults, right? And responsible adults and more kids means we need more responsible adults. So that disqualifies some of you. But if you would like to help with our kids ministry, um, we need more help. We need more team members. We actually want to start being able to split up our children's church because um, sometimes children's church is first through fifth grade. Um, sometimes there's like over 20 kids. Um, and uh, have you met your children? Um, so 20 of them in a small room is just chaos. And so um, we're trying to split that up. So we'd love for you to um, get involved in helping with Kids Church. I think that was my only announcement, um, but I think four of them is enough. So here we go. Matthew 26, you got your Bible? Matthew 26. Here's what it says. Verse six is where we're going to be. We're just going to get into it. And then, man, we have so much to look at today. So, So hit me with verse six here. It says this. Now, when Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume. She poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. Now let's pause there for uh, a couple things. First of all, is it, is it says this, it tells us the story's happening in Bethany. Um, Bethany was like a, like a suburb of Jerusalem. Um, they didn't share city walls. They, they, that didn't happen back then. But it was so close. It, it was an easy walk. And so when Passover would come, tens of thousands of people would come flooding into to Jerusalem. And so some of those people would end up in all these little pockets of little cities around. I mean, Bethany was, was close enough that um, if, you, if you're an old timer, if you've been around Monmouth Independence for a long time, you might remember when Monmouth Independence were two separate towns. You remember like when there was a space in between, right? Like you would, you'd be in Monmouth, you'd drive by the Taco Bell. Do you remember? Yeah, yeah you remember Taco Bell? Okay, you drive by the Taco Bell, you drive by Burgerville, you go up the little hill, and then there'd be nothing, and you drive, and then you drive into Independence. There'd be a sign, welcome to Independence, right? And, and that's kind of how, how it was. There, there was. there was a little bit of space, a little bit of gap between, the, oh, here, here's, a, here's a random unimportant fact. Do, do you know why? Um, why it's called the Monmouth Independence Chamber of Commerce? You, you know why? You're like, well, because it's for Monmouth Independence, okay? That's obvious, but here, here's, here. why is it not the Independence Monmouth Chamber of Commerce, right? You know why? Because back in the day, when there was just gravel lots in between the two towns, the two mayors had to settle the dispute of whether it be Monmouth Independence or Independence Monmouth. So they went out to neutral ground in between the cities at a gravel lot and flipped a coin, and we won. So, yes. Secret, I don't actually live in Monmouth. But, um, uh, but we won anyways, okay? Monmouth Independence, right? So it's just this little town, just like right at, that has nothing to do with sermon. Right out on the edge of, uh, of, of Jerusalem was this little town, Bethany. Now, there's, a, there's several stories that have this kind of anointing of Jesus thing. And, and to be honest, it's hard. You can read a bunch of different people and they'll, they'll give you different theories and different opinions about 
which ones connect and which ones don't connect. We, we have this one in Matthew. Um, he, he basically plagiarized Mark. So we know that Mark and Matthew are telling the exact same story at the exact same time. But there's a story in Luke and there's a story in John. And, and there's some details that look the same and, and there's some that don't. So it's, it's hard to know. Um, but here's what I propose to you, okay? Jesus healed what we can only imagine is thousands of people, Right? It would not be surprising to think that on more than one occasion, someone showed up to where Jesus was to show their gratitude and express their gratitude with just this exorbitant gift, right? But so we have this story here. We have this story. And, and I want you to go with me. Be in the room with me on this story. Just, just, just see everything that's going on. So Jerusalem is overrun with people. It's the Passover. It's crazy. It's, the high, it's their Super Bowl, right? I mean, it is the biggest deal. People come from everywhere. This house is packed with people. Not only is it packed because it's Passover, but Jesus is at the height of his popularity. You remember just a couple days ago, right? For us, it was about a year ago when we were looking at it. But you remember just a couple days ago was Palm Sunday, and, and, and Jesus comes walking into Jerusalem and the crowds line the street and they, they celebrate this king coming back to his capital. They celebrate and they shout and they scream. Jesus is the height of his popularity. Crowds followed him everywhere. This house would have been overrun with people, right? And Jesus is sitting at the table of this man, Simon the leper. He's sitting in his house and, he, and he's, he's laying um, down. They, in ancient Near Eastern culture, they would lay to eat. Actually, there's a lot of cultures still in the Middle East today where they would lay down to eat. They, um, and any of the pictures you see of like the Last Supper, pictures, paintings you see of the Last Supper, right? Where like Jesus and all the disciples are sitting on one end of the table and they're all like sitting propped up. They're, they're not an, at all anywhere close to historically accurate, right? First of all, why would everybody pose on one side of the table for the painting? right? But they would actually lay, and they would lay across the ground with pillows and blankets, and they'd lay on their left arm. And their head would be up towards the table, and then they would eat with their, their right arm, right? And so this woman comes into this packed, crazy house, just buzz and noise and busy, and she brings this, this, this vial of perfume, now, one of the stories tells us that, that when she, she pours the vial of perfume, that it just permeates the whole house. And how could it not, right? Um, Mark tells us in the story, we're going to look at it a little bit later, that um, it's about a year's worth of wages. So, so think, about, think about, first of all, not only think about the quality of perfume for years worth of wages, but think about the quantity I imagine that there are some of us who are, who, are, who are a little bit more sensitive to smell. Like, this may have been nauseating for you. Like, you would have been able to taste, you, you know, you know when, when something smells so bad or so intensely, like you can feel it on your tongue, you can feel the filminess of the, this thing on your tongue. This room is packed with people buzzing, and then this woman comes in in the middle of a hot Middle Eastern day and pours this perfume on, her, on, on Jesus that you can just taste. You can taste. It, it, it would have been, been quite a moment. Mark tells us that, um, that it was expensive. I mean, it says, it says right here, right? Even Matthew tells us that this vial was very costly. Very costly. Here's the thing. Um, worship, worship 
to those outside will always seem costly and even wasteful. Look at, look at how the disciples respond. Let's, let's hit that next verse. Look at how the disciples respond. Spend this. But the disciples were indignant. They were angry. They were frustrated. They were, they were even a little bit embarrassed for this woman. When they saw this and they said, why this waste? Why waste a year's worth of salary? Just in your mind, just, just, I'm not going to give you a number. Just in your mind, think of what you would think of a year's worth of salary. Why waste in one moment a year's worth of, why this waste? Because, because to those outside, and I just don't mean outside the church, I mean outside of the moment of worship you're engaging in, worship will always seem wasteful. Some of you have experienced this. I mean, some of you decided like, oh, you know, I, I want to go on a mission trip. I want to spend money and spend vacation and spend my time off and go somewhere else to serve other people. And you hear from coworkers or maybe even family members, like, like, isn't that kind of a waste of money? Like you give generously to missions or to churches or to movements or to people and, and people outside of your act of worship, your gift of engaging and giving God the best that you have seems wasteful. I mean, even, even serving locally or serving on a team or, or spending your Saturday morning um, with, with a bunch of kids chasing around Easter eggs seems wasteful. Did you know this? Some, some of you learned this um, during COVID. Did you know this? That, that there's a thing. Have you, have you heard of this? It's called Sunday brunch. Have you ever done it? It's awesome. Isn't it awesome? Like, like good waffles, maybe a mimosa. Like, it's, it's an all, like, why would you waste your Sunday being here when you could be at Sunday brunch? Because to those outside, worship, right, good, God-honoring worship will always seem wasteful. So what do we know about this woman? We'll look back again at verse six with me. Um, verse six gives us like almost nothing to work with. <laughs> look, it says, a woman came to him. Now, by trying to connect some of the stories church throughout church history and um, people have, have, have tried to theorize and think about who this woman was and, and connect stories. And, and, and there have been some theories that um, this woman was, as talked about in another story, that she was a prostitute, Right? Um, that maybe even that maybe she was Mary Magdalene and that maybe Mary Magdalene had been a prostitute and, and that she just experienced the grace and mercy, the, the, the kind of grace and compassion that Jesus shows when he, when he finds the woman caught in the act of adultery and he kneels down with her and says, who condemns you? Neither do I go and sin no more, right? This kind of compassion, maybe she's been overwhelmed and transformed this woman um, uh, uh, who, who in all likelihood in ancient Near Eastern culture, the reason she's a prostitute is because she's either been rejected or abandoned by all of her family. And the only way she can feed herself is to use her body to buy bread. She's been rejected by society to live on the outskirts, but she's met a Jesus, a savior, 
that is so different from the rest of the world that, that she comes and, and what, is, what is a year's worth of salary to show gratitude to a savior who's given you life and dignity and hope and a future again? There's some that connect and, and, and think that this woman is, is Mary, but she's Mary from, from the story of, of Mary and Martha. You know the story? Mary and Martha, um, they've got a brother named Lazarus and Lazarus gets sick which is annoying and inconvenient. Jesus is out doing big, important things and he gets sick. And they send a messenger to, to Jesus and, and the messenger comes and says, Lazarus, your friend whom you love, he's, he's sick and he's gonna die if you don't come. And, and the easy thing that Jesus could have done is go to Lazarus, right? Go to Lazarus and then just like do what he does. Lazarus, you're better. Right? Maybe he wants to add a little uh, spark to it. And he, he wants to, you know, spit in the dirt, make some mud and put it on Lazarus' forehead and say, fever be gone. And then Lazarus be like, why did you make mud out of spit? And she's like, I, I don't, I've just done it every other way before. And I just thought this would be a fun way to try it differently. Right? He could have, but you know what it says in the story? It says he waited if you do the math on how far he had to walk and all this kind of stuff, if Jesus had left when he'd been told, he would have just gone and healed Lazarus and it would have been no big deal. But instead, because he waits, Lazarus dies. And what Jesus finds when he comes to the town where Lazarus was is Lazarus's sisters, Mary and Martha, weeping. And we find in that story um, the, the shortest verse in English. It's, it's not actually the shortest verse in the Greek, but it's the shortest verse in the English. And, and it says, Jesus wept. And he weeps with Mary and Martha. And you can just imagine the embraces and the tears and the wailing and the sadness. And, and you see, when a family member dies... Um, and, and for Mary and Martha, it would have been exponentially more dangerous because we have no indication that they have any other male, heir, any other male protectors for them. But when someone dies, it's an incredibly intimate thing that happens very quickly when someone dies. They have to wrap the body and they prepare the body themselves. They don't have a coroner. They don't have a mortuary to send to. They prepare the body themselves. And often the body would sit in the front room of the house during the time of mourning. And, and then they wrap this body and they would place it into a tomb. And there they would let it decay for a year or maybe two. And then a year or two later, someone would come and they would open it up and they'd take out what was left was just bones and they'd put it in a box and they'd bury the body box. So Lazarus has been in the ground, dead for several days, and natural but disgusting things are happening. And Jesus shows up to Mary and Martha weeping, and he weeps with them. And then he walks to where he's buried. And you remember this? It's one of my favorite things in scripture. Someone pointed this out. They said, um, Jesus had to have said, Lazarus, come out. Because if all he had said was, come out, every dead thing would have come out of the hill. Wouldn't that be awesome? Just sheer panic, right? Like there's this like wolf over here from 20 years ago that's come crawling. And everyone's like, no, 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 no. Jesus, go back, go back, go back. All the dead bodies are like, man, I thought this was our time, right? He says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus comes out. And can you imagine, just, just be there for the moment. Your brother, your protector, your dearly loved family member You've just gone through the process of burying them and grieving their death, and now they come walking out to you. So the question is this. What would be too expensive of a gift of gratitude for the one who's given you life? 
Like, like, like would, would, would a year's worth of wages really be wasteful to the one who gave you back your dead family member? She was a prostitute. Would, would, would a year's worth of wages really be too great a sacrifice, too grand a gift for the man who gave you life and dignity and hope and a future and purpose, who redeemed you and restored you? who gave you the opportunity to be called a daughter of the king, would it really be too great a sacrifice, too great a cost? You see, this woman came in this house wanting to know what she could give. But there were other people in the house. Judas, you know Judas, right? Everybody knows Judas. Judas kind of has a bad reputation. Um, He made some bad choices in the life. And uh, nobody names their kid Judas anymore. Um, but it says this, there's a, there's a story that happens right after the story. And, and your Bible, if you have a Bible open, probably has a header there. Just know headers aren't inspired. The text is headers aren't. I think that Matthew wants us to see these stories connected because look, look at what it says um, here. Uh, I think we got to skip forward to, yeah, go one more. Okay, it says this. Then one of the 12 named Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest and said, what are you willing to give me to betray him to you? And they weighed out 30 pieces of silver to him. This woman came into the room asking the question, what can I give? But Judas came in the room asking the question, what can I get? Now, here's the thing. Whenever we talk about Judas, it's really easy for us to emotionally disengage with Judas and be like, (laughs) I'm not anything like Judas. I wouldn't have betrayed Jesus. I wouldn't have done the things that Judas did. I wouldn't have stolen from Jesus. I wouldn't have been the one who did it. But but, 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 um, there's a verse. Have you heard this? Um, Pride goes before the fall. We have to be really humble and honest with ourselves and recognize that a lot of times we look a lot more like Judas than we do look like the woman who anointed Jesus's head. Here's what I mean. It's just my theory. You don't have to agree with me. It's not a hill I'm going to die on, but here's my theory. Um, I think that Judas thought he was helping Jesus. Here's, here's what I mean. Um, what do we know about Judas? We know Judas gave up everything to follow Jesus. <laughs> Do you know that? Like, like there was no halftime disciples of Jesus. In fact, other people come and want to follow Jesus. And Jesus says stuff like this. He says, let the dead bury the dead. Duh. Okay. If you put your hands to the plow and look back, you're not fit for me. Uh, right? So we see some of the disciples selling everything. And they leave Jesus. They leave everything to follow Jesus. And we, we, we don't know what Judas left, but we have to imagine that he was held to the same standard the rest of the disciples was. And Jesus, Judas left everything to follow Jesus for three years of his life. He followed, like we think, oh, he's Jesus. I mean, why wouldn't you follow Jesus, right? But he followed an uncredentialed homeless rabbi that nobody knew about named Jesus. That's who he followed when he first started following Jesus. And and I don't think that Judas got sideways at the very beginning. I think that in time, Judas, his heart and his mind began to shift from Jesus being the end goal 
that there was something about this man in Jesus that was so different and so beautiful and so good that his heart could not be not drawn to this Jesus. But at some point in time, Judas's heart began to drift and he began to see Jesus as a means to an end. And that just like, that just like basically every other person in Israel in the day, they were waiting for this Messiah that would come with violence and with power and would ascend to the, king, to the throne of David and with, with might and miraculous works of God would drive out Rome and would establish again God's great kingdom on earth. And I mean, he just, just, just days before, he'd been a part of a parade that looks a whole lot like a king coming home. And Judas has got to be thinking, this is the moment, this is the moment. And, and there's actually even some, some so um, Judas Iscariot, we actually don't know why that's his name. There's some theories. One of them is this. One of them is that um, it means that he came from a town that looks similar to this word here, that he was Judas of this, this place, and that might be true. There's another one that it's actually a really close rendering to the word assassin. And it wouldn't be that surprising because you remember who else Jesus had his disciples? Simon the Zealot. You remember what Zealots agreed to do? Zealots were a political party who were willing to kill for the establishment of the kingdom of Israel. At some point in time, Judas's heart began to drift from Jesus being the purpose of his existence to being a means to accomplish his own end, which was seeing the restoration of the kingdom of Israel. Here's the other reason I think that Judas was actually probably thinking he was helping Jesus. Um, Judas, after Jesus is crucified, Judas um, dies by suicide. Now, now you might be like, <laughs> I mean, you just betrayed Jesus. Like maybe you feel a little guilt and shame about that. But you know who else, who doesn't? Um, like, the Roman soldiers who drive the nails into Jesus's hands and feet. And then when he's dead, they stand at the bottom and say, well, surely this was the, the son of God. Bummer, right? I think that what Judas thought when he was betraying Jesus is I thought that, I think that Judas thought that the Roman soldiers would show up to the garden and, and, and Jesus would be like, well, I wasn't planning on doing it today. But here we go, not today, Satan, right? And he'd be like, guys, grab your swords. We're going at it. And when Jesus just, in fact, when, when Peter does, when Peter grabs his sword, here's another historical little funny thing. Um, Peter, right, Peter cut off the soldier's ears, not ears, ear. Um, and a lot of times when we envision it, we vision it this way. We like, like Peter, like, wah. And then he goes, Phew! which Peter didn't do. You know why? Because um, if you've ever tried cutting somebody's ear off, um, we should have a conversation. But if you have, if you swing a sword this direction, where does that sword stop? In their shoulder, which is a bigger problem than him missing some cartilage off the side of his head, right? What Peter was actually probably doing, he probably took his sword off and he went to cut the guy's head off and he went like this, like this. And the, the dude did like all matrixy and he was like, and the sword went whoosh. Right? Wouldn't have been awesome if there was that noise. Anyways. I, I think that Judas thought that he could use Jesus to get what he wanted. And the truth is that we often find ourselves doing the same thing more often than we want to admit. 
More often than we want to admit, Jesus is a means to an end, not the end himself. If all you had was the opportunity to worship Jesus and everything in your life was spinning into chaos and destruction and and was just an absolute mess, would it be enough to continue to follow him? Would the opportunity just to have the presence of Jesus? So some of you, some of you've known this. Like some of you have gone through seasons of life where everything just splinters off into chaos. And is Jesus enough? Or is Jesus a way to to get something, to get a promotion, to get respect, to, to, to get approval, to, to, get, to, to, to uh, believe that you're loved by a family member or a parent, to get approval of someone else, to, to, to get, to get, to get. You see, this woman came into the house to give what she had, but Judas came to get. And the truth is, that more often than we want to admit, our hearts look a lot more like Judas's than they do this woman. But there's one other person in the room. There's one other person in the room. Um, uh, skip forward two slides. Uh, there's one other person that Matthew includes on purpose. And here's the thing, just when you're reading the scripture, if there's a name there, the names are on purpose. Because just like the woman... Right? Matthew doesn't record her name. But 40 or 50 years later, when Matthew's writing the book, Matthew records the host's name because, he, here's what you should assume, is that Matthew expected that the people reading the book would know who this was. That's why he recorded the name, Simon the leper. Well, wouldn't you like that name? Now, here, here's some things we know about Simon the leper. We know that in this moment, Simon does not have leprosy. Okay, we know that. We know Simon doesn't have leprosy because if he did, it wouldn't be packed with a bunch of people. What we can theorize pretty well is that Simon was an important, powerful, wealthy man who'd had leprosy and Jesus healed him. That that's why, that, that he was forever. Well, I mean, just think like, like what would you like? Like, oh, there's Timmy, the dude who cut his fingers off. There's, uh, there's Mark, the guy with a really ugly rash. I mean, doesn't have the nasty rash anymore, but it was gross. You should have seen it. I got a picture here. You want to see it? It was real bad, right? This is Simon, a man whose life was being consumed by a flesh-eating disease, and Jesus showed up. Now, here's the thing that we have to know about Simon. Simon, as the host, would have been the one who, in inviting Jesus, invited all the cost and expense. He took it on all himself. He made a space for Jesus and for all of his followers and the tens or hundreds of people that would follow Jesus. He was the one who'd pay the cost for them to eat. He was the one who would, who, would, who would spend all the energy to prepare the house, to get it ready for this savior, for this Messiah, for this coming king to come into his house. He was the one who would welcome in all these people into his house. But not only that, here's an incredibly important detail. Simon, as the host, as the owner of the house, Simon would know every single person who came into his house. Here's why this matters. Simon knew the woman was there and he welcomed her to his table. Simon wasn't surprised or caught off that this woman with, with, with some sort of busted track record in her background had come walking into his house. Simon was not caught off guard when this woman walked up to Jesus and began to anoint him. There is no way in ancient Near Eastern culture that Simon did not know. And yet, 
What Simon did, the reason we have this story is because Simon was the one who invited others to come sit at his table to meet Jesus. He was the one who was concerned with who was going to be a guest around the table, that his life had been so transformed and redeemed by this Jesus that at his expense, he invited others to come sit at his table. The question, the really easy question for us today is just this. Like today, in this moment today, which one are you? Which one do you look most like? I mean, when you think back on what God's done for you and the way he's, he's, he's redeemed and restored, he's protected, he's blessed, he's provided for you, he's been present in all things, the, the, the kind of saving grace he's shown you and the, and the life that he's given you, that he's given you back from what was dead, he's given you life. What, what would be too costly a gift to give him? Or maybe like Simon the leopard, who, who knowing everything that you've gone through and everything you've done, but maybe today the opportunity for you is to be like Simon and to make a space for someone to come sit at your table so that they can meet Jesus, to make space at your expense, at your cost, so that people like this woman can have a place to come meet Jesus. Or, or, or you look a lot more like Judas, has, has Jesus just become a means to an end? Has Jesus been a thing that you check off the list so that you can mark on a census box, so that you can mark in, 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 on Facebook, on social media, that you're a Jesus follower? Has he become just a tool to get what you want? The really easy way to know is just this. When you come to Jesus, is the question, what can I give? Or what can I get? Which one are you?